Father in heaven, thank you so much for your many blessings. We thank you for this time that we have together. And I pray, Lord, that in the couple hours that we have, that it will be productive, that you will be glorified, that your spirit will will truly lead us and guide us according to your word, that we can not only be filled with your spirit, but that we can reproduce ourselves and plant more churches here in the Michigan Conference for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so nurturing new believers. I'd like to look at the the definition for nurture, okay? The definition for nurture is it's the process of caring for and encouraging the growth or development of someone or something, okay? So when we're talking about nurturing new believers, we're talking about growth and development, Okay, we're talking about growth and development of individuals, the individuals that are around us. Okay, Um, you know, the Apostle Peter was very zealous for the Lord. And in, in some cases, he would, you know, he would even run ahead of God. Okay, so much so that Satan used it, you know, used Peter to take opportunity to rebuke Christ when Christ was ready to go to the cross. Remember that? And Peter boldly says, I'll never deny you. Now God knew at that time, Peter still needed some nurturing. Okay, Peter still needed some, uh, some discipleship and some care and in some encouragement. And so later, when Peter is converted... It's interesting what Jesus says to him in Luke chapter 22, verse 32. He says, and when you have returned to me, what? Strengthen your brethren. Peter needed nurture. But ultimately, the goal of that nurture was so that Peter himself would turn around and what? Nurture others. Okay? Church nurturing is not to get you to the place where you've arrived and you're not helping anybody else. Nurture is there to get you to the place where you now are nurturing other people. You're passing it on. You're passing on your training. You're you're passing on the lessons you've learned. You're passing things on. You're strengthening the brethren. Okay? There were times that Peter needed nurture, yet at the same time, Jesus consistently reminded Peter, you will be strengthening your brethren. You will go forth and nurture and train those around you. So it's actually very fitting for Peter, the one to share these words later. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2 and 3. He says, Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those who entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. It's appropriate for Peter to be the one to say these things. Because when you look at the life of Peter, oh, he needed nurture. He needed to be converted. But then he was encouraged to nurture others. And so we get these words from Peter. And you'll notice he says what not to do. And then he also in this verse explains what to do. Okay? you'll notice what not to do. He says when it comes to shepherding the flock, okay, specifically talking to ministers, 
but later we'll talk about how we're all involved in this process. He says you don't do it by compulsion. You know what compulsion is? Force. How far do you think you're going to get in church if you're forcing people to do stuff? Okay? You don't nurture by compulsion. Or for your own benefit. Right? For dishonest gain. You don't look for something in giving something. Otherwise, we're not really giving for the right reasons. Okay? So he says, listen, you don't do it by compulsion. Okay? And believe me, Peter is very zealous early on. He would have definitely done it by compulsion. Okay? Or for dishonest gain, or by what? You don't nurture somebody by being lord over them. Okay? It's not like, I'm watching everything you do. I, by the way, I need you to do this. And then you micro... We, we use the term micromanage. Okay? That's kind of like the present day term of, of basically being lords over them. Okay? This is not how you shepherd the flock. This is not how you nurture someone. This is not how you work with them. You don't work with them by being lords over them. Now notice the opposite, but you do it this way. Uh, you, you, you shepherd willingly, okay? Which leads to, right, you're following God's will in the process of the nurturing process. Willingly, according to God's will. You do it what? Eagerly. You know, when you're nurturing somebody... It's, it's exciting when you're doing it, not because, oh, I have to do it, okay, because this is my position. Um, but you do it eagerly because you what? You want to do it. You long to do it. You just long to give to somebody what you've been gaining, okay? And finally, as what? As examples. Each of these is opposite of the last three we looked at, okay? And by examples... Not lording it over them, but setting the example. If you ask somebody to do something, what should you be doing? Same thing. You know, as a pastor, it's easy sometimes to sit back and say, oh, I'll let the elders do that. Oh, I'll let the deacons do that. But you know what? I should actually be in front of them doing what I'm asking them to do. Without hesitation. If I'm asking them to clean a toilet, I'm going to get down on my hands and knees or do whatever I need to do. I'm going to do it by example. Okay, so real nurturing, Peter says, do it by example. Peter's not going to tell you something to do that he didn't himself do. You know, it's interesting in Acts chapter 10, when you read the book Desire of Ages, or when you read the book Acts, no, Desire of Ages, she's talking about Peter in, in Acts chapter 10, and it, and it says that when he went to Cornelius, she said, the Holy Spirit told him, you go doubting nothing. But she writes that he still went reluctantly. It's something Peter didn't uh, he struggled with. He didn't really want to do, but he did it. Okay? And if we're nurturing people, we need to do it willingly. We need to do it eagerly. And we need to do it as examples. We're going to set the example. And then they're going to build off of that. Okay? Nurturing is, by the way, nurturing is not optional in the Christian life. Okay? Um... We always need to nurture, and Christ encourages us to transition from just being members to being disciples. Disciples are nurturers. Okay? There's a transition that takes place, and in the Christian life, this has to take place. This transition has to take place. I encourage you, find someone to disciple. 
when you leave here within your church. Find someone to nurture. You'll grow tremendously in that process. Okay? Find someone who's going to take your place. I know we don't sometimes like to hear those words. Um, but, but Jesus understood those. You know, baptism is just the beginning. Conversion like sanctification is the work of a lifetime. The baptistry is not the last step of the Christian's experience, but it's one of the what? It's the first step. You know, when, they, when someone comes out of the baptismal tank, there should be 20 people ready, or five, whatever the size of your church, ready to nurture that person. Soon as they come out, not like you've arrived. Welcome to the church, and then we all go off our own direction. Okay? Uh, those are the kind of people we lose over time. Notice, it's essential. That's why it's essential that the church maintain a meaningful discipleship program in which all the members, new and long time, are encouraged and strengthened in the Christian walk. You know, I'm, I'm excited. I have the old set. Now we got the new set that Michigan Conference has developed, the discipleship book. Okay? They're thinking this way. Okay? Because this is what God has wanted us to do. So use that book. Set up a process by which those people, as soon as they come out of the baptismal, they know. I'm going right into this class. And they know the reason why they're going into that class because they're actually going to teach what they were taught. They're going to learn how to teach what they were taught. And they're going to learn to take somebody else's position because God's going to move you on. I'll, I'll talk more about this a little bit later. Even Peter needed nurturing from time to time. Once the Apostle Paul corrected Peter directly concerning his treatment of the Gentiles when the Jews were present. You find that in Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Even though the Holy Spirit was poured out, they nurtured, they held each other accountable even after the fact. He was also nurtured by the Holy Spirit, being instructed to reach out to the Gentiles. We just talked about that. And he went reluctantly, but he still went. Even though Peter needed nurturing from time to time, as do others, he still nurtured. Just like we should. Notice our first calling. You have your Bibles. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 3 for just a minute. I, I love this passage. There's a few things. Jesus gives us an example here of, of this process. Mark chapter 3. Okay, Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. If I'm going too fast, just let me know. Okay? Mark chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. And, and then we'll look at verse 15. You'll notice kind of a pattern here. When Jesus calls the disciples. Okay? Notice verse 13. It says, And He went up on the mountain and called to Him, those he himself wanted. So what was the first thing he did? He went up to the mountain, but he what? He called to himself. Follow. He called to himself those he, him, those he himself wanted. And they what? They came to him. So he called them to him. They came to him. And then it says, and he appointed twelve that they might what? So notice. He called to Him. They came to Him so that they could be with Him. Okay? Notice next, it says after this, it says that He might send them what? Out to preach. Do you follow the process? He calls to them. They come to Him. 
so that they can be with Him so that later He can what? Send them out to preach. It's the same thing that happens in the nurturing process in the church. You find somebody. You ask that person to walk alongside you. That person stays with you for a while only for the purpose of leaving you later to preach. What they've learned from you. This is the example that Jesus uses. How many people right now are you walking with in your church? How many people right now are right, right next to you learning from you? Being prepared to go out and preach. If nobody, it needs to change. This is Christ's example. This is what He did. He called, they came, so that He could be with them for a period of time, so that eventually He could what? Send them out to preach. This is why we disciple. This is how discipleship takes place. So we need to pray that we can find someone to walk next to. That's why I love when people come up to me. There's friends that I have, and someone came up like a month ago. He's like, can you mentor me? I'm like, oh, that's music to my ears. Because that's why I'm here. Because if I weren't doing that, why, did, why should I be in the church anyway? Just for myself? No. Okay? Jesus' example. So He called them to Him. They came to be with Him. They stayed with Him only until they were ready to be sent out. And then they would go out and testify in His name. Okay? This is why it's important that we stay close to Jesus. He gives us this example. John 15, verse 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you what? Abide in me. Jesus said, listen, as a Christian, you need to imbibe, we need to consistently be with Jesus. But as we're with Him, He's consistently sending us out. Okay? To go on God's errands. So we need to abide. Notice, I want to share another passage, or just a thought here. The most powerful Christians are the ones who, when asked to share their testimony, can share what Christ has been doing in their lives that very week or even that very day. The best nurturers are the ones who are consistently being nurtured by Christ. Okay? As they're abiding in the vine and they're learning from Christ, they're drawing people to themselves. For the purpose of what? Nurture. For the purpose of developing. For the purpose of making disciples. Okay? And, and so, these are the people that have the, the greatest um, examples. Or you see so much happening. Matter of fact, each member must have a living, vibrant relationship with Christ, rooted and grounded in the spirit of divine love, before we are able to share this joyful experience with others. Remember this verse. Remember we shared it earlier. Pastor Howard shared it. Then I went over it. It says, A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be what? Like his teacher. And when we just got done reading in Mark chapter 3, right? To be like our teacher is to always have somebody walking next to us. Let me give you an example. I was pastoring in a church. I had seven elders at the time. And I had asked the elders, okay? I said, how long 
have you been here? Give me the, the amount of years that you've been in the church. And we went around the table. One of them had been in the church for 20 years. Another one had been in the church for 30 years. Another elder. And there's just seven of them. And we went around. One of them was a charter member. Okay? And then we added up the years. It, it was like almost 180 years. Okay? Of experience from these seven elders in this one church. And I asked them the question. I said, so how many of you have been head elder? Two. I said, so you have 180 years of experience in this church. You've been in this church that long. Only two of you have been an elder. I said, you tell me, are you moving forwards or are you moving backwards? Because in 180 years, you should have, if we're following the biblical principles, they should have all been head elder. They should have all trained somebody else to already take their place, if not two or three people. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we're following the biblical principle, and, I, and, I, and I, we went through that, you know, it was very interesting. A few months before this meeting, I went to one of the elders' houses. He hadn't been a head elder. And I said to Evans, after watching him and working with him, and I was like, oh, Evans, I said, you need to be, you need to be head elder. And he's like, Pastor, I just don't know if I'm there or if I can do that. And I said, no, you need to take that step. He'd been in the church a while, and he was an upstanding member. He was a great example, him and his family. And I was like, you need to take this step. Oh, I don't know if I can do it. After this meeting, uh, we got a call to the Middle East. But in coming back to visit on one of the annual leaves a year later, Evans came up to me and he put his arm around me. He said, Pastor, guess what? I said, what? He said, I'm now the head elder. I said, now you're moving forward. If you're nurturing someone to take your place, you're moving forward. If you're not nurturing anybody, you're pretty much not moving. Okay? To be like the teacher is to follow the teacher's example. Find someone in your congregation you can nurture. Find someone you can disciple. Don't let the years go by and not train someone. Okay? Not help them. And, and hey, it's okay for them to take your place. You know, God needs the church. Um, I want to look here. Saul and Ananias is a kind of a perfect example of how God uses the church. Okay? Um, if you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, okay? If you turn with me to Acts chapter 9, and I just want to look at a few verses here. Acts chapter 9, verse 10 through 17. You know, Jesus meets, and, and this is incredible. You can actually go to Romans chapter 2, don't go there right now, but later. Romans chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, is where Paul says a Jew is one inwardly, right? Not one outwardly. And the circumcision needs to be the circumcision of the heart. Okay? The experience of Saul in Acts chapter 9 is actually Romans chapter 2, verse 28. It's Paul going from that outward Jew to becoming an inward Jew. Okay? It's where he's meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus and everything changes. Okay? And, 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 and Paul's going through this change. But as Paul's going through this change, God is going to bring the church along to help him. Okay? There are people out there that we're reaching out to, some going through the same change, where they're being circumcised inwardly. They're going to need the church to walk alongside them. 
in the process. Notice with me verse 10 of Acts chapter 9. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. Now I like this. Follow. Here am I, Lord. It's like you hear this, I'm ready, Lord, whatever you want me to do. But, (laughs) so the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered and said, I'm going, Lord. Not really. I have heard from many about this man. First of, Lord, I'm here. And then, wait a second, you want me to do what? Lord's going to ask you to nurture somebody and, and granted, probably your first thought is going to be, really, that one? Okay? But he goes on. He says, Lord, but this is what I've heard about him. Now, you know what's incredible about this? This shows our short-sightedness. Because when you read all of Acts chapter 9, it's like God is giving you this like 30,000 foot view. You're seeing God work with Saul. You're seeing, and, and Ananias knows none of this. All he knows is what? What he's been told by other members. Okay? All he knows is the report that's floating around in the church. Okay? But God says, no, I want you to go see this man. And I want you to stand next to him. I have a job for you to do in his life. So don't listen to all the other voices around you. You know, it can become discouraging sometimes in church when you want to nurture, but other people are talking about the person you're nurturing. I'm going to be honest. Who cares? I'm just being honest. Who cares? If God is leading and guiding you to take that step, take that step. Don't hesitate. Okay? Then Ananias, he says, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And it's true. He's not saying anything that's untrue. And here, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. That was it. I love that. Just go. For he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and children of Israel. You don't know the person you may nurture, God may turn around and raise up to do great things in the church. The rest of this story are the epistles from Paul. Praise God Ananias went and did what he was supposed to do. Because God was going to use the church to do this. And Ananias, even with some reluctance, and sometimes we are reluctant, we've heard certain things, we've heard people talk behind, this is all we know. God sees from 30,000 feet. Okay? Shows how limited we are. We need to keep that in mind. Okay? So go, he says, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Paul starts to suffer right away. He's persecuted in Damascus. He's running. You've got to flee there. It's interesting how that takes place pretty quick. 
And Ananias went his way, entered the house, laying his hands on him. He said, Brother Saul, and the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. God sent me. You know? And it's right there in the church. God not only sends you out to reach the lost, but He also sends you within to train others to help you reach the lost. Okay? So it's really important. And the church has its role. Okay? It's an irreplaceable role. Why did Jesus send Ananias to meet Saul? Couldn't Christ have performed the miracle from heaven since He was the cause of Saul's blindness to begin with? When in the midst of his blind error and prejudice, notice from Acts of the Apostles, page 122, when in the midst of his blind error and prejudice, Saul was given a revelation of Christ whom he was persecuting. He was placed in direct communication with the what? The church, which is the light of the world. Okay? By the way, it's the depository of truth. It says, in this case, Ananias represents Christ and also represents Christ's ministers upon the earth who are appointed to act in His stead. In Christ's stead, Ananias touches the eyes of Saul that they may what? Receive sight. In Christ's stead, He places His hands upon him, and as he prays in Christ's name, Saul receives the Holy Ghost. All is done in the name and by the authority of Christ. Christ is the fountain. The church is the channel of what? Communication. God's going to use us to walk next to somebody that He's calling into His fold. To educate, to train, to disciple, to nurture. And the goal is eventually to take your place. You know, when I go into pastor a church, my goal is ultimately to find people that can replace me because I know what God really wants is us planting more churches. That's the bottom line. The real success of a church is if it's planting other churches. Unless we're planting other churches, we can never really look at ourselves and say, we've been successful. That's, that's really the success of a church, is when they're reproducing themselves. But to do that, we need to reproduce ourselves inwardly. Okay? And from there, it, it grows, and it continues to grow. Notice, uh, our leaders in the church have an important role in nurturing new believers, but so does the church. Paul speaks of that church as having different members, but it is still the church. Notice these verses. But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are what? Notice, the weaker ones are necessary. Now evolution would say different. But we don't believe in that, right? So the weaker do have a role. They do have a place. They do have a part. Okay? Notice 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 26, or 24 and 26. God composed the body, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members what? Rejoice. Notice, as one is affected, the whole church is affected. Okay? Why? Because we're all together. Um, Paul is describing the interconnectedness of the body because all are involved in the nurturing 
or being nurtured. Thus the body continues to grow. So just a few minutes on the family of Christ. Spiritual gardening. Okay, Gospel workers, page 92 says, after individuals have been converted to the truth, they need to be what? Looked after. Okay, Remember, it doesn't stop with the baptismal. It's just beginning. So they enter a process to where they are looked after. The zeal of many ministers seems to fail as soon as a measure of success attends their efforts. Okay? They do not realize that these newly converted ones need nursing, watchful attention, help, and encouragement. These should not be left alone, a prey of Satan's most powerful temptations. They need to be educated in regard to their duties, to be kindly dealt with, to be led along, and to be visited and prayed with. You know, there's another statement where she talks about, you know, when we do an evangelistic series of meetings, she says the second meeting is even more important than the first. In other words, when we finish that, we need to have another set of meetings where we're starting the nurturing and discipleship process. That's why, again, I'm thankful for that book, that discipleship book, because now we can put them in another set of meetings where we begin to work with them and educate them knowing that they're going to step up into leadership roles one day. I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. Spiritual newborns. Spiritual newborns. Okay? Notice with me Acts chapter 3. You know, they understood this very clearly in Acts. They, they didn't leave. They tried not to leave anybody behind. Okay? Now there was a situation in Acts chapter 6 where some were forgotten, not purposely, there was just such a number, and sometimes that happens. You're growing, and you're growing, and all of a sudden, someone might fall through the cracks. But you've got to have people that, you know, that have their eyes and ears open, that are consistently looking, always, for the care of those newborns. But I want to go to Acts. Acts chapter 3, okay? Verse 41 to 47. Oh, that's... Sorry. Acts chapter 2. Thank you. Misprint again. Boy, I'm, I'm in the business of misprints. <laughs> I'm glad I have an agreement from the front. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I'm going to mention those too. 41 through 47, it says, Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the what? The apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued, even 3,000. You go from 122 in an upper room to 3,000 and they're still doing it. And at some point, they needed to know, we've got to organize things because we're going to grow. Okay? And we're going to have the same care with 122 as we've got with 3,000. Okay? And they continued steadfastly. I just read that. Verse 43, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were what? They were together and had all things in common. And they sold their possessions and their goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food and with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being served, saved. So 
you see they're being served and others are being saved and then served. Okay? But you see this, you see this happening. Notice with me chapter 4, verse 32, 37. It doesn't end. You see this same thing repeated. Notice with me in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 37. You, you see the same thing repeated. It says, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. We just read that. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. And there was, and it says, Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds and the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each as anyone had need. I mean, it just goes on and on. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement. A Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay? Um, later you read the story of some that had a, a challenge with that. But nonetheless, for the most part, they were coming together. People were being taken care of. There was a nurturing and discipleship process. That's why when you get to Acts chapter 6, when there's a problem in the church, and the apostles call out to everybody to come, all the disciples, we're going to give you advice and you're going to solve the problem. They were ready to be empowered to do that because they were consistently being taken care of, everybody, and they were being nurtured. Okay? Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each what? Esteem others better than himself. Now this is the part I want to spend a, a little extra time, a little bit of time, spiritual gifts. Um, you know, God gives gifts to His church for a reason. It's to bless His church. And it's to prosper everybody within the church, but also those outside the church. I want you to notice 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. I want you to notice something. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. He does not want us to be what? Ignorance. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Is given to what? Each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But notice, one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one what? As He wills, right? Individually, as He wills. Now I want to bring something to your attention. If we are not nurturing and discipling others, there is no need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because if we are not nurturing and discipling others, there is no need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because all you're doing is living for yourself. 
Why would God want to honor that selfish living with the outpouring of His Holy Spirit? Okay? This is what happens in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God falls for the purpose of delivering the message, bringing people in, raising up disciples, so they go out and deliver the message. And in that context, the Spirit of God is poured out. Anything less than that context, there's no need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you an example. In the book of Acts, this is why I was jumping to Acts too soon. You remember the story, well, let's not read it yet. You remember the story of the deacons. I keep referring to it. This is the first major transition that takes place in the book of Acts. Where Satan has the opportunity, the church is growing, they're all coming together, people are being discipled, they're being nurtured. Okay. But there's a problem that arises. Now the church is not overcome by the problem. What happens is, is they look to the potential that is within that church, and they focus on the potential, and they overcome the problem, and the church continues to grow. Are you following? Sometimes as a church, because we're not consistently discipling and nurturing, problems in our churches become crippling. But if we were doing the opposite, we would see the potential from that situation rather than the problem that that situation causes. Okay? And so what happens is, is you actually have the deacons. It's like, okay, we need to increase the roles of ministry. So you have disciples. Now there's the need for what? Deacons. This is where you have the deacons in Acts chapter 6. But those deacons don't just stop by being deacons. The Spirit of God is poured out on them in this process, and now they're given specific gifts to continue moving the church forward. Notice, I'll read. This is about Stephen. Stephen was one of... And there's two in the book of Acts that are highlighted to help us understand and grasp this. Okay, Stephen, it says in Acts chapter 55, verse 56 and 56. But he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. This was at the end of his sermon. It says, and he said... Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Okay? So what is Stephen here? Stephen's actually a prophet at the end of Daniel's prophecy. He is, he's gone from being a disciple to being a deacon to being given the gift of prophecy. And that was a benefit to the church. Right? We're living off of that. We can point back to that even now in studying Daniel's prophecy. Okay? And so he's a prophet, but he starts out as someone that believes. He becomes a disciple. He becomes a deacon. And now the Spirit of God pours out a very special gift in his life. Okay? He's not the only one, though. Philip is also another one. You get at, right after this, in Acts chapter 8, you have the story of Philip. Persecution arises, and all the disciples are scattered. Not the apostles, the disciples. Why? Because they ran the risk of being very complacent in Jerusalem. You know, it's kind of like we sometimes have our Adventist ghettos. Okay? We can become very complacent 
and we forget the process. God never wanted them to forget the process, so he caused so there's persecution arises and they're all spread. Okay? And so we read the story of Philip and how Philip goes from being a believer to being a disciple to being a deacon that ultimately is given another gift. Okay? Notice how it refers to 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 Philip later in Acts, Acts 21, verse 8. It says, Paul's companions entered the house of Philip the what? Notice it's no longer Philip the deacon. Okay? Who was one of the seven. So he goes from being a deacon, from being a believer to a disciple to a deacon to being given the gift of evangelism. If our people are going through this process, believer, disciple, deacon, elder, then God may turn around and say, now I want to give you the Holy Spirit because I have something else for you to accomplish. Now, as you're going through that process, you need the Holy Spirit. And who's gaining all the glory in the process? God is. Now it's in the right frame of context. So here's the thing. We pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the Lord's like, will you nurture somebody so I can give them to you? Sometimes we compete against ourselves. So nurture someone. Take someone along. Let that someone replace you. And then God's going to give you gifts. You know, it's interesting. There was a church member of mine in the same church that these elders were in. And I think I might have shared it briefly. But she, I told you about Bible studies when we were talking about friendship evangelism. Erica. And, uh, and I told her, oh yes, you do do Bible studies. And because um, I needed her to do a study in German. And she's like, oh, pastor, I don't do Bible studies. Now, she'd been a member of the church for like 20 years. Wonderful lady. She's a head deaconess, by the way. Wonderful lady. I love her to this day. Okay? But I said, oh, yes, you do. So she started doing the Bible study. I said, I'll walk. Here's the thing. Remember, I'll walk alongside you. If you want me to train you, if you want me to work with you, she said, no, no, pastor, I can do it. I was like, okay, we got past that. So she can do it. She finished this Bible study and what it wasn't so much that the person was baptized after what was amazing to me and to the whole church. See, Erica, for like 20 some years, would never sing by herself. She'd always sing. She had a nice voice, but she'd always sing in groups. On the day of the person's baptism that she had been studying with, the Lord specifically impressed her. You need to sing solo. So she came to me just before the baptism. She said, Pastor, she said, don't tell anybody. I said, okay. She's like, I'm going to sing a solo. I said, really? You do that? She said, I've never done that. But the Lord is leading me to do that. I said, okay. I said, this is great. And you should have saw the eyes and the mouths drop in that congregation. She's doing that? It's amazing how the Lord will lead you when you're willing to lead somebody else. If you're not willing to lead anybody else, how can the Lord really lead you? Do you understand? Your growth as a Christian is dependent on you walking next to somebody else and discipling them. If you don't do it, you will shrink in your Christian experience until eventually you don't have it anymore. This is the picture in the book of Acts. We see it. This is why we need to be proficient in the book of Acts. 
Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the what? Profit of you? For the profit of all. This is why the Spirit of God is given. It's to be a blessing to all. Okay? So Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12 says, in relationship to this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the gifts for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You know that you have a good nurturing plan in your church when consistently the roles of ministry are consistently increasing. In other words, you don't have the same elder for 20 years. You may have in that 20 years 10 different head elders. It's the roles of ministry. As you focus on the roles of ministry increasing, God's going to continue to pour out His Spirit because you're going to know you're going to need it. And you're going to need it. And you're going to need it because you're working for the profit of all and for the work of ministry. Okay? By the way, I want to go back to Acts really quick. There's a point I'd like to make as we're coming to a close. In Acts chapter 2, actually in Acts chapter 4, and I want you to notice verse 33 and then 34, 35. It says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I love that. Great what? And notice how they respond to such grace. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds to the things that were sold. This is the point. When we are coming to Christ and we're being discipled and we long to disciple others, there's a change. You know, to become a church that is a training center, to become a church that is a discipling church, the church is going to have to make changes. And, and the thing is, is sometimes we're not willing to make those changes. But this church was willing to make the changes. Think about it. People are selling land and they're divvying it up and everybody's making sure everybody... The church was constantly going through change in positive ways so that everybody was being discipled and nurtured. You know, it, it was interesting one time... <clears throat> I was standing up. I had been in Africa. And they invited me to preach in a church. We were there getting ready in a mission institute but to go overseas to the Middle East. But they had asked me to come to an African church. Now, when you walk into this church, there was no carpet. There was, there, all there was were lawn chairs. But they were lawn chairs that were just one right after another after another. And they packed out the church and everybody's sitting outside. And they didn't have hardly anything. Okay? And, and then when I came back home... I remember standing up front and I asked him the question, how many of you would like your carpet to be gone? Let's just take it out tomorrow. They're like, no. I said, what about the pews? Let's get rid of those and bring in lawn chairs. And they're like, no. I said, well, what if we filled this church with about 500 people? They said, let's get rid of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like, we're not willing to make the change but we want the fruits of change. You follow? But the church in Acts was willing to make the changes. There was definite change that had to take place. You know, when my son was born, my first son was born, um, it was an emotional experience. 
Matter of fact, so emotional that I didn't even get there in time to cut the umbilical cord. I was like back in the corner, just crying my eyes out. I can't believe what just happened. And, uh, and, but I knew. Why was it such an emotional experience? I was so happy. But in that happiness, I knew there was going to be what? Changes that I needed to make. Okay? But you know what? It was okay. Because there was new life. And I was willing to make the changes because of the new life. You want new life in your churches? Be willing to make the changes. Be willing to make the changes. And sure, it may bring you to tears to make some of those changes. But make them anyway. You know? We need to disciple people. At least, the challenge, at least find someone in your congregation that you can walk next to. That you can pour your knowledge and understanding into. And get to the place where they take your place. Period. And then the Lord's going to do something in that process with you and with that person, and, and you'll see things and experience things you never have before. Just like Erica and others that I can tell you about. So anyway, let's have a word of prayer. Whew. And uh, we'll move on. We're going to give a five-minute break. Father in heaven, thank you again so much for your many blessings. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit, but you need us to go forward in faith and do your work. And so I just pray in a very special way you'll give each of us the courage, the strength, Lord, the burden for teaching somebody else what you've so, so graciously given to us. Lord, I thank you for your word and your truth. And I pray that you will truly be glorified. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. We long for your soon return. May we hasten it as we disciple others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.